Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is intended solely for the purpose of personal growth and not as a replacement for professional psychological support. The views and opinions of the hosts and guests of this show are not meant to be taken as medical advice. It is very important to seek the help of a qualified medical practitioner when making any shifts to psychiatric medication you may be taking, or if you are experiencing extreme psychological distress. Drummer and the Great Mountain, a podcast where we share effective tips and practices for working with adult ADD, ADHD in a natural, effective way without the use of medications. Each episode, join me, your host, Batman Saram, along with the author of The Drummer and the Great Mountain, Michael Joseph Ferguson. Join Michael and myself in an interactive discussion of sharing our stories as we journey together in transforming what can be the gift of being what we call hunter types. This podcast is intended to be your audio companion to the book written by Michael, who joins me each episode where we both will strive to foster dialogue, give you our personal insights, and share both of our experiences on this similar path that we are all on. Our intention and hope is that along with the book, this podcast gives you an additional perspective as you listen to us delve deeper into each chapter of the book to give you even more tools to go along with what it is that you are reading. Visit us at drummerandthegreatmountain.com to purchase the book and look for more tools, tips, and updates, as well as giving us feedback on this podcast. Join our growing global community of creative types, entrepreneurs, and out-of-the-box thinkers on our shared journey. Welcome to the Drummer in the Great Mountain podcast. Good morning, friends of the Drummer and the Great Mountain community. Welcome to the podcast once again. Hope you're all well. Hope you are all inspired by something. And if not, uh, we are hoping today is uh, your chance to get re-inspired through a little bit of a different show we have for you today and extremely excited to have our special guest uh, Leo Sofer on today, who we'll be telling you a little bit more about and getting to know throughout the show. Michael's actually mentioned him a few times on our podcast previously, and um, uh, grateful to actually have him on the show today. And uh, Michael, good morning to you as always, my friend. How are you? Doing great, doing great. I'm excited to have Leo on today. You you always have interesting stories when we have special guests because they always come somehow through through connections you have um, in meeting. Um, our guests tell us tell us about you and Leo yeah well me and Leo go way back <laughs> we've had quite the journey um, yes I uh, worked with him uh, quite a bit on um, his stories in the past in uh, getting his stories out into the world um, and also um, Leo was very much an inspiration on many levels I'd say a lot of the work that I did with him inspired um, many of the aspects of the book uh, the coaching system, uh, as well as uh, him introducing me into uh, nonviolent communication and needs-based awareness, which is a big part of the emotional support uh, contained in the book, and we've mentioned it quite a few times. Uh, and also just one of the most phenomenal artists I've ever met. So um, very much looking forward to speaking with him today. Excellent. And let's say a little bit about him before we bring him on. Leo Sofer has been telling stories since 1989 and has developed intuitive storytelling as a way of accessing our inherent wisdom and expressing it in story form. He has worked with thousands of people over the last 25 years, telling stories and leading trainings in intuitive storytelling. For more about his work, 
and we'll be mentioning these throughout the show. Uh, his website, Stories of the Journey Home, also has a website of stories for young children, palaceofstories.com. And now with that big drum roll, we bring in our special guest on the drummer in the Great Mountain. Leo, good morning to you. Good morning. It's nice to be here, and it's actually afternoon here. Oh, that's right. You're, I forget, you know, the power of the internet, you forget and you take for granted uh, what access you have to people in different time zones. So, well, thank you for joining us, I guess, on a Sunday afternoon, your time. Yes, indeed. Well, we'll get things uh, started. Uh, Michael, I'll turn it over to you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be listening a lot today, so I'll, I'll turn it over to you at this point. I would love to for our audience and myself to get to know more. I, I've heard some clips of uh, this intuitive storytelling before, and it's fascinating and it's intriguing. So uh, take it away, my friend. Yeah. So, well, Leo, uh, you know, we talked quite a few times uh, last few weeks, and. Um, would love to just go into a little bit of, I think what what connected us originally was um, storytelling and that was something I was very, and am and still passionate about. Um, Maybe you can give us a little bit of background on on your, like what got you into storytelling? What was the inspiration for it? And just the context that you see storytelling in culture and maybe what's been missing. in terms of uh, the power of storytelling as it's evolved over time. Yeah, great. Okay. Well, um, I'm passionate about storytelling, and I have been since I discovered it as a 20-year-old student in in Exeter in England. Um, Storytelling at the time was being revived in the UK. We had a a British storytelling movement, British uh, revival storytelling movement, rather. Um, and I discovered it as a young student studying drama at university, and it struck me as something uh, compelling and fascinating and also um, powerful in a way that theatre can sometimes not be powerful. I mm. was very inspired by a man called Peter Brook, who was an English director, who wrote a very influential book called The Empty Space, mm. where he said that theatre can get really flabby. It can get over-costumed, over-scripted. It can get a bit kind of, you know, it can lose the power of, of mythos that story t- that, that theatre is really the um, inheritor of. Now, Brooke said, let's strip it all back. Let's make theatre really simple, really bare. Let's bring it back to one person on a stage. Why not? Because that's the most essential mm. meme of storytelling, of theatre, rather. Yeah. Let's, let's strip it right down. Now, what happened was some people in the UK got very inspired by him in the 80s and um, said, well, what about storytelling? I mean, that looks like what Peter Brook is describing as being this essential, mm. pure theatre that kind of can convey something mythological and powerful. And they started, you could say, rediscovering storytelling in the UK. Now, the reason they had to rediscover it is that it had got pretty much um, destroyed as an ongoing oral living tradition, Mm. along with most folk arts um, in Britain. We had the Industrial Revolution uh, earlier than any other nation, so we lost our folk cultures quicker than all the other nations. Um, And whereas in some parts of Europe, you you'd got an ongoing line of storytelling still around. In the UK, it was hardly, it was at the fringes. You know, you'd get the tinkers in the hills or the sort of Scottish folktale tellers, but there wasn't, there wasn't anything left, so we had to revive it. And this is what I got, I got inspired by that movement. It's like, holy cow, you can actually tell stories. There's a thing called a storyteller. And I went along to some of their performances and I was like, this is amazing. This is really, really powerful. Yeah. So that's how I got started. And, see, and, and there's a piece here which, um, you know, I'm thinking about the timeline. And um, as that was going on, I remember starting to get into Bly, who came to the Robert Bly yeah. in the U.S., that, yes. <clears throat> and Michael Mead, that yes. reinvigorated this, this uh, the power of storytelling as a means of of personal growth and self-reflection and it seems like you were following along that trajectory yes now Bly was actually someone else who I was getting into at the time as well I was also reading Joseph Campbell who was a towering mythologist from America who um, 
was an extraordinary man. And what what Bly, what uh, what Campbell did, Bly was very inspired by Campbell. He was um, yes. looked to him as a, as a mentor. What Joseph Campbell did was he read every single story ever put to paper or parchment or stone tablet. He read everything, everything, wow. over an extraordinary career of decades. And um, uh, what he did was he he wrote about myth with this amazing uh, perspective because he'd read everything um, he could write about it with this amazing sense of what it actually meant to human beings what's the, the role that story had played in the lives of human beings not just in civilizations throughout the world but in the the time before civilizations the time when we were all hunter-gatherers roaming around, the time before written language, which, you know, um, is a, lo a much longer period of time than the time with written language, if you think of the entire span of, of the, uh, the human being. Now, what do people do when they can't write stories down? They tell stories. <laughs> and and the, the telling of stories was, in a way, a cultural activity that was is now been taken uh, the place of that has been taken by like a hundred different ways that we tell stories yeah. we tell stories with newspapers with with television with film we we read it on the internet we read it in books we read it everywhere we get stories through a multitude of different channels but way back before we even had writing we lived in small tribes yeah. and storytelling was you know, it was this incredibly primary cultural activity that the entire tribe would be engaged with. Kids would hear stories, but adults would hear stories because it was what defined who the tribe was, who who mm. who, who they were, and it would it would describe the world and give people a sense of their context, of their past, of their future. It would it would be a way of making sense of the world particularly when that world was strange or dangerous or overwhelming yeah. or just downright mysterious. Mm. Stories would well up as people's way of, of making sense. But also, I believe, and there's, you know, Campbell was, was pretty clear on this as well, was, that, that, that there have always been the shamans. There have always been the artists. They're still with us today. The, the ones who are not able to fit the regular roles but rather find themselves drifting to the edge of the tribe, the edge of the society, the edge of what's been given as this is what you do, but rather they find themselves playing on the edge of this world and, and other worlds. And it, it, the evidence of, of contemporary tribes now is that those people are really honoured I mean, we often incarcerate them yes. <laughs> or put them in mental <laughs> hospitals. Yeah. <laughs> or if they're very lucky, we call them artists and, and, and <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's the best lot. And, and, and if they're super lucky, they get to be successful artists. Yeah. Uh, but otherwise, they're, you know, that's where they are. And, well, and there's other folks these days that don't just have to be artists to be living on the edge or, or fascinated by the edge. Yeah. But way back before in this area I was talking about where storytelling was so vital, one way that stories would enter into the culture would be by those people who were on the edge having visions, taking kind of visionary journeys, doing sh whatever shamanic, you could call it, practices back then. They would bring back symbols that would inform the stories. They must have done because some of the stories that are still with us now that come from pre-literate societies are pretty far out. Yeah. And they're pretty magical, they're pretty powerful. And in fact, many of the folk tales that European storytellers ended up telling, many of those folk tales have mystical symbolism that, that is now being traced back to, um, to um, Indian culture and Indian mystical culture. Mm. Um, it's, it's, it's a kind of a new, a new theory, but certainly in telling European folk tales, which is what I ended up doing in my early days, Boy, those stories are really mystical. They have an incredible power to them. A rabbi that I read 
Bounce once said, you know, those old folk tales, they have real jewels in them, but they're buried in the dust. You know, you have to <laughs> <laughs> tell them to find out the real power that they have. Well, well it, it seems to me, in, in hearing you talk, two things come up for me. One is just applying this a little bit, you know, Michael, to, to, to our world and, and what we do here. I loved, Leah, what you were saying about how storytelling and storytellers and, and what they helped people who were lucky enough to be the receiver of this finding your place in the world you know yeah. and that's a big thing that hunter types deal with right michael isn't that yeah. something we've mentioned over and over and 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 you talk about things being buried in the dust you know this is why this is such an important um vehicle for for especially parents if they're dealing with with hunter type children this is this is an amazing it has to be an amazing vehicle to to kind of help center and 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 for the for those that are dealing with this this phenomenon of like where do I belong in the world especially artist type don't artist type isn't this one of the things that successful or not a lot of us artist type look back on our childhood and say you know that's one of the things I struggled with why because I was different so if I'm different I'm not yeah. part of the crowd and therefore yeah. I don't know where my place is yeah, and you know, you Leah makes a great point here in terms of I, I'm sure people are making these connections themselves as they're listening. But um, <clears throat> you know, we're talking so much of our podcast has been about talking about this uh, lineage, this connection between modern day society and this hunter gatherer wiring that we seem to have still inside us, stronger than other people uh, who maybe have more of the the farmer gene. And how many of us do feel like we're on the fringe? <clears throat> and so many hunter types are um, artists, creative types. And uh, I think, Leo, as you were sharing, uh, I was just thinking that there's so many um, resources that are available. Even as you were sharing about Joseph Campbell, if you can get online and look at some of those. Uh, George Lucas did uh, a sit-down with, George, uh, with uh, Joseph Campbell for I don't know how many hours he did, but that it's... Uh, he produced that, and that that's available for people to uh, to access. Um, so, yeah, that that was that was brilliant. Now, can you t take us into your work specifically, Leo? Like, how how did you? What was the transition for you in terms of going from uh, telling other other folk tales and then into your own work in your journey as an artist? Mm. Well, so. Um... I, having having got into storytelling and discovered that it's this thing that you can actually do, I started working in schools. I would go around um, primary schools, which is three to 11-year-olds in the southwest of England, and I did a lot of storytelling. I did thousands of performances over several years. And I um, I told a lot of folktales, these European folktales that I was talking about, and I found in them what I was just describing. There's a, There's... They have a real mystical power, these stories. They're still with us now. They're still being retold now because they have something really powerful to them. And I had been a spiritual seeker since my teens. And I found in these stories something I was really hungry for, which was a sense of a mystical culture that I, I could be the inheritor of, that we're all the inheritor of. You know, where is the... Where's the mystical element in our culture? We live these days in such a superficial culture and so much of the stories that we're surrounded by are surface level stories. And there was something in these folktales that I found was really nourishing to me. Mm. So I studied them, I, I read thousands of folktales and I told lots and lots of stories and I was just, just like getting used to storytelling and what storytelling involves. It's a very interactive thing. It's... it's um, it's an art form that is very much about the connection between you and the people who are listening to you. Mm. And, and that takes some learning. There's something about being a performer and being on stage and that has a whole kind of, there's a whole odyssey there really that I felt like I've taken, I feel like I've taken from being very uh, scared and, and feeling vulnerable and, mm. and trying to protect myself and then realizing that I'm actually in a box and I can't connect to my audience anymore because I'm trying to be too safe. Yeah. And then what does it take to be both vulnerable and safe at the same time? And, and what's the learning there? So I, I did a lot of 
a lot of diving into that whole area, all the while imbibing this old stream of wisdom that's from from where we all come from if we're of European descent. Um, and uh, and then my something really unexpected happened, which is that I started receiving stories. Um, like I said, being a spiritual seeker, I was often very just sort of sitting a lot of the time, not meditating, but just being very, very quiet. And in in a, in in some of the, the the years leading up to that 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 breakthrough, I I started to to discern an inner voice in the stillness that would just give me practical information and and tell me, no, that's enough food now, <laughs> stop eating, or yeah. go downstairs, there's a letter waiting for you, practical stuff. And yet it was clearly a distinct voice in my head coming as a piece of communication. And um, and also while I was developing my folktale telling, I started working with a technique that the the uh, revival storytellers that I mentioned earlier were working with as well, and I got yeah. inspired by, which is you visualize the story as you're telling it. If you're telling a folktale, you just visualize it so it has a kind of inner register in you. It, it's got a life inside you. And when you tell from that place, you're telling in a way from something more authentic and more real. So that was very helpful. So when I had this creative breakthrough of the stories coming to me, I'd somewhat laid the ground for that already in that I started seeing the images of a story, but not a story I told before. Rather, it was a new story. It's like, what is this? Mm. <laughs> the image just coming. And it, it would stay there and it, it wouldn't move until I described it. I realized that was what was being called for. So I'd say, well, once there was a king and the, the image would start moving by itself. Move to the next scene. and I'd keep describing it and keep describing the story and the images would change as I did that. And then when I would be a bit unclear as to what actually was uh, being shown, I would hear my inner voice chime in and give me like a prompt, a bit like the person in the theatre who has a script on their lap <laughs> and is there ready for whenever a, an actor corpses on stage, which is to forget their lines. Mm. I have one of those inside. And that, so that was, how, that was how intuitive storytelling came to me. And that's almost 20 years ago now that I've been working with, with that modality. And um, that's been quite the journey quite the journey <laughs> so I can I I just want to just to give people uh, an insight we're going to share one of your stories as one of our podcasts so that people can can uh, tune into your work um, so when I connected with Leo um, and heard one of his stories and kind of had had a sense of like how he would basically sit down in front of an audience and go and basically they, the audience themselves would come up with a theme that they were all working on in terms of their own lives. And he would just sit quietly and then these stories would come. Um, I remember reading a little bit of his bio. Oh, I don't know about this. And then I listened, listened to one of his stories and I was floored, completely floored. And to this day, I listened to uh, a few of his stories the last couple of days and, and it's remarkable. And, um, and it really, it, what I've, learned from your work, Leah, was the power of like what is available to us when we quiet down, when we have, we're connected into this deeper part of ourselves that most religions speak about and, and, and are mostly intending to make, you know, we're, it's, we're meant to make that deep connection within ourselves uh, and to have, to see what is possible. Um, that was one of the great gifts that I got from your work. I was just, I was just struck by, there's so much more available as an artist, as a creative person. And as someone, you know, we can say the hunter type piece, even though I would not consider you a hunter type in your temperament. Um, I, you seem to be a very steady human being, whereas I think hunter types tend to be a little more, uh, we have a harder time staying on the ground. You have a, an amazing ability to be a really, finely honed artist and someone who's from my experience has been very level uh and steady so um but it was it was, was remarkable to me to see what was possible through this work and and how we can uh what what our capacity is as artists us hunter types start our story but then we have to go chase the deer so it doesn't make for good storytelling yeah that's right <laughs> Leo, I'm I'm curious. You know, one of the things that Michael shared about you know your guys' long history, your friendship, um, 
and in what you do in addition to the storytelling and how you weave it kind of all in and, and what you do um, in your life uh, that intrigues me that I think is important for our audience is, is, is nonviolent communication. And he mentioned your background in NVC because Michael mentions it in the book um, and he's uh, he he's mentioned both in the book and on the podcast is what I'm trying to say. So just give us a little bit, if you could, a brief background of you and, and, and NVC and how, if anything, it weaves all in to, to, to what you do. Yeah. Great question. Um, so I, I discovered NVC a few years after, uh, discovering intuitive storytelling and it was just what I needed at that time. It was a vital piece because what I was finding with the intuitive storytelling with that work was that it was just very challenging uh, emotionally, personally to do it. Um, it's very vulnerable making. I was putting myself on stage a lot and feeling overexposed and having a really hard time with it. Um, it wasn't flowing or being as successful as I was hoping it was going to be. And that was challenging too. Um, and I was I was recognizing that there was an undertow of self-criticism that was going on that was making the work harder and harder to do. And as that accumulated, it was almost like I just couldn't carry on with it. The, the work of intuitive storytelling, you know, of keeping myself open enough to keep working at that edge and um, getting out of my way and allowing the intuition to be part of my creativity, that required me to be gentle to myself and I had no idea how to be gentle to myself I really didn't um, and because my passion was so evoked this was, this was so important to me to do this and when it didn't go how I expected it to go yeah, yeah. I would be brutal towards myself and yeah. you, you can only beat someone up a certain amount of times and they'll just stop wanting to be your friend Yeah, and it's the same inside you know if you're haranguing yourself then the place where you are making yourself vulnerable will get raw and then it will get cauterized and then it will not want to show up anymore and that was what was happening and I noticed this with alarm and was like I have to save my work here yeah. or it's going to die because I'm being too brutal and that's where nonviolent communication came in a friend of mine had got very into it and it said, you've got to read this book. And I, I was like, no, no, I'm not interested in that. And put it away nine months later after a, a punishing period of my life where I got dumped by a girlfriend and my work had dried up. And I recognized that on the inside, I wasn't doing well. Mm. And part of it was how I was talking to myself, communicating myself. I thought, well, nonviolent communication, that sounds like what I need. Mm. So I studied it and immediately recognized something that was very workable as a tool for getting out of those kind of sticky places and, and undoing self-criticism and returning to why am I criticizing myself? Well, there must be something really important at stake. What is that important thing? And once you can get to that place, you've undone the self-criticism for the most part. You know, it, can I stop you there? Go for this it. Yeah. is such a key wow. piece, and it's interesting to me that, hmm. um, you know, I've thought a lot about you know NVC nonviolent communication, and I really came out of that specific stream that you're talking about, which is that um, I know there's other um, trainers, NVC trainers that go into this to the um, using NVC as a personal reflection tool, but you really inspired that in me. As, I mean, that was the context for so much of what I got from your interpretation of NBC that isn't predominant within, it's mostly, an inter, for most of the people who look at nonviolent communication, it's usually interpersonal communication is the, is the primary piece. And so it's, it strikes me as you share that, that that piece was something that I really took in as far as it being um, a means of connecting in with my inner emotional self. And making a connection and finding a way to dialogue and then how powerful that was as a first step versus starting from the external and working inward, if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. Well, Marshall Rosenberg, who was the man who developed nonviolent communication, he originally developed it as a social a means of social change. And he, he, did, he kind of honed it by working in the in the South during the, uh, the desegregation 
uh, movement of, with the schools down there and the amount of um, trouble that was creating. And, and he kind of honed and developed the whole system of NVC in the in the cauldron of that and then was working a lot with um, social change and, and violent conflict in various places in the world. But what, what people found in his work was also a very powerful modality for communication and for improving relationships. And then what other people also found in the amazing insights that he was making. I mean, he was also a, a uh, he was very influenced by Carl Rogers, um, amazing uh, psychologist uh, of his of his time, who opened many many doors. And but Marshall was very influenced by him as well. But you know what what I found in NVC. I mean, I, it helped my marriage enormously. And Michael, maybe you and I can speak about our working relationship. That was an amazing application sure. as well. Absolutely. But. But my primary, I would say my, my, one of my, actually, they're all very valuable, but, but one of my most important uses of this, whether or not this is what Marshall Rosenberg intended, but it's certainly what he, he unleashed, yeah. is that NVC was this amazingly powerful tool for undoing self-criticism. Very, very powerful. Yeah, and as I said, like he really kind of worked out how how our emotional bodies function. Like it's yes. has, like how Brilliant. like and it's universal. Like our the yes. the emotional body of the human being is a universal phenomenon, and how it commun and it's and it's driven by a needs. It it's driven to seek out needs, and that's that's sort of our being is we can't get away from it, and yeah. we can. And he worked out the languaging. That allows us to have access to that within ourselves, and by doing and understanding that, then we can have access to the emotional selves of others and find that. And and way easier said than done. So uh, as we've said it multiple times, but it 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 just works. You know, we've just as a note, I, I, I as I know when you were actively teaching nonviolent communication, what I was struck by was. The the process by which you taught it, which was that you would sit in a room with people that were that had come to your workshop, and you, you and your your co uh, trainer would sit and just not say anything, and people <laughs> would start to get flustered, and then they'd be like, "What am I doing here? And why aren't they saying anything?" And then as soon as there was the alive feeling of discord in the room, you would use that as the tool for. Oh, it's brilliant! Teaching. I was like, "Oh, that's." How better to, to work with the tool than to show it live in action in the moment? Have the audience bring the content to you. That's brilliant. Sure. <laughs> a I, didn't, I didn't always teach like that, but it was sometimes a, a very effective. A quick reminder for those who have been listening and just as intently as I have, just sitting back literally in my chair and with my headphones, just so grateful for this, Leo. Um, Leo's website, storiesofthejourneyhome.com. The kids' uh, story, a website of stories for young children, is palaceofstories.com. Leo, I had a question which has come up for me. Just you know, as we always tell our audience, things are so improv here on this podcast, and and that's totally transparent to to how we run things here. And apparently, our audience appreciates it. And things come up for me always when Michael and I are talking. And something very important came up is. You've been talking here, and it always involves a personal note, but I know others share it in different ways. And that's, you know, the power of a story. You've mentioned that as a medium for personal growth, both as the storyteller and those receiving the story. You know, I would imagine that, you know, and and this relates to NVC too, so I'm really, really curious. I couldn't think of a better person to ask this question to. You know, for someone who's been through trauma, now trauma can be on any level. It can be any story. I've shared mine before. For those that go to my music website, my story is right on there. You know, my, my, my family fled a revolution. Our country was overturned overnight um, from a free and Western thinking to, to what it is today, unfortunately, in Iran. Um, you know, and I was four years old, but you remember traumatic things, unfortunately, when you're that young. Most people say you don't remember things before a certain age, but when traumatic things happen. So there's a lot that goes into that story that could go on for for an hour. But the highlights are that, you know, it was us fleeing a revolution, coming to a new country, all of us having to deal with, you know, stereotypes and racism and making our way. And thankfully, our family made it through all that when we are where we are today but the one thing that's always intrigued me is the power of a story the 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 negative vibration and the positive vibration my question to you is for anyone that's been through trauma because i've heard both sides of this from from a 
self-growth perspective, and I'll get to the question I promised, and that's this, <laughs> is that, you know, a lot of times when you're sitting and talking with people, especially as an artist, you know, I find myself falling back to what happened to me and my family. Not from an ego standpoint. I swear to you, it's not. People are intrigued. Oh, my gosh, you were born in Tehran. Tell me about it. Oh, there are, you know, so people ask. But my question is, is I now literally can tell this story with my eyes closed, and I tell the story right now as if it's scripted. You know what I mean? It's not improv. Like, my story of our family leaving is now like a movie in my head. Is, is, is holding on to something traumatic that's happened to you in your life, um, is is that a negative thing? Because I hear for some people say you have to throw those stories away because if you're able to tell something traumatic in such detail and imagery, it means there's something still negative inside you. Others don't think so. What is you're the expert in this sense? Tell me your feeling. I mean your your expertise. Where you know traumatic stories where they fall in our life should we hold on to them is there a way to hold on to them and not have it be something negative in your life that's a really interesting question i mean um my my journey with nonviolent communication it kind of ran its course in a way i felt like i got a huge amount from it but about four years ago i stopped teaching and i started um getting very deeply involved in something called uh, ascension meditation. It's a meditation practice that emerged in, in the West um, but has roots in India um, through Maharishi Mahesh Yogi and it's, it's a very powerful but contemporary practice. And that was a very different take on what to do. So nonviolent communication, you could say, came out of a therapeutic model where in general, I would say the the answer to your question would be yes. It's really important to tell your story, um, and I I would actually go along with that to a certain extent. I would say that if your story is stuffed inside of you, it's vital to tell it. If your story, if you're unable to access your story, there it's going to be running you. Mm. Um, telling your story, getting in touch with the feelings accessing the deep needs which is the thing that NVC is a, is helpful for is vital if you're not able to do that right now that's your work you have to you have to do that mm -hmm. if you want to be free of that trauma and most most modalities therapeutic modalities in the west will be facilitating that and there's huge power and there's huge healing to be found in that However, as someone who's gone through that very much, I don't have a traumatic background like you, but what human being doesn't have trauma in their, in their family at some point? Mm -hmm. If not their own experience, then they're, I mean, I'm from a Holocaust generation. My mm. father was Jewish from, the, and from that era, you know, and so even though I didn't have that experience myself, I kind of drank it in as a child. <laughs> yeah. Now, at some point, you have, to, you have to turn around and look at what the heck it is that's running you on an emotional sort of psychological level and it may be from your personal experience it may be from your family your parents experience. because as children we absorb our parents emotional body we kind of we we mimic everything they do including how they hold themselves including how they are in relationship to the world so um so becoming allowing yourself to be transparent or, or to be unblocked is is really important that's a great step what i've learned however with ascension it's something quite different and it, it took me a couple of years to get used to this which is that ultimately we exist right here and right now in this present moment and in this present moment if we can bring ourselves fully to this moment we have access to unlimited potential we have access to the the realm of human possibility of human consciousness and if the more we can bring our attention to the present moment, the more the potential for who we really are can come through. That's where my storytelling journey has taken me, is that um, the, the stories that help us access our true potential are stories that teach us to remain present, stories that teach us to honor the present moment without needing to kind of forget our past. Mm but not to dwell on our past. You see, we, we can get stuck in our minds and then our, our world becomes our thinking process. We're so much more than our thinking process. So 
I, I really appreciate is that. Also. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was saying that I really appreciate that. Thank you. That that gives me, and I hope for our audience a perspective of, um, like you said, if it's not directly experienced, it's experienced somehow. And so I, I, I know that helps me. So I, I hope that helps our friends out there. I really appreciate your insight on that. Yeah. And, you know, I want to state there that it's interesting hearing you speak, Leo, that like so much of even as um, as you were evolving and continue to evolve as a human being, as an artist and as you've explored. So that theme that you just mentioned of present moment awareness and mm. power it has been throughout all your stories that that theme is pervasive. Uh, right. And it seems like as time has gone on, your connecting in with that source of the the, the storytelling that that the, the, the source the stream that came through all your stories um, y- you're become you're aligning more and more and more with with that aware does that do you feel that as, as you yes continue on? no that's really true that's really true Michael I think that's that's where I'm kind of a shaman that's where I'm in that that kind of lineage yeah. is that um, from the very beginning the stories have been speaking about a, a very spiritual message one that's that's about aligning to our true potential, to our divine nature, um, and reminding us of an identity that's much larger than who we might think we are. So uh, I wanted to make a point here that um, there's people from many different faiths that listen to this podcast. Um, And I want to just offer in terms of taking in a lot of the, the you know some of these perspectives and alternate perspectives on spirituality that these all can be easily applied within your current belief system and that's something that um, you know I was raised Catholic and I slowly mer- went out into the to the world of studying uh, Eastern mysticism and meditation and, and I was able to find people within my own tradition who um, were able to integrate that and I found that it was some of the more advanced, like some like monks and people who who had really spent a lot of time just in quiet, and I found that those people had a very strong connection with other people from other faiths that had taken a similar journey. And I think it's it struck me that the uh, the journey into presence and awareness and becoming a more aware human being, um, and I don't want to put a label on it as being a good human being, but you you're a more life giving person in the world. And uh, that is, you know, that seems to be the result of spiritual practice. That you, there, there is a, a greater sense of personal um, empowerment, as well as a, a sense of um, humility, and as well as a, a, an ability to contribute what you have more effectively to the world, because the inner chatter has quieted down a bit, and most of that friction is what, um, and especially I think for a lot of us hunter types, causes us so much suffering. And when we find these practices and in tools like stories to get us in touch with these deeper parts of ourselves, we're more effective as human beings. We're we're kinder to our families. We're more able to move through the world with with the ability to, uh, to give what we have to share. Um, So I wanted to wrap up, Leo, with uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about you've got Palace of Stories and you've got Stories of the Journey Home. Um, why don't you share a little bit about the work that you have available? Yeah, so um, when I had children, when my first, when my son uh, got to be about four, I started telling him intuitive stories. And for a four-year period, him and his sister, who's two years younger, they had uh, a thousand stories told to them at bedtime. It was almost one a night. Wow. And um, it was beautiful. It was a really beautiful time uh, in, in our family life. And the very best 100 plus of those stories, about 120 or so of those stories, I professionally produced in my recording studio and I created a website called Palace of Stories. My wife did all the illustrations for it. And um, yeah, I'm very, I'm very happy with that work. It's been a real pleasure to create it. My kids are older now, so um, I don't... I don't, I'm not telling them stories anymore, but there's a, a lot of material out there. It's about 30 hours worth of, of stories. And I now also teach parents with young children how to tell their own intuitive stories. I've been teaching intuitive storytelling for about seven years now, six years, since 2010. And um, 
to my surprise, it's actually relatively easy to pick up. I thought you had to make this long journey like me and then you could tell intuitive stories, but actually people can learn it in a few classes. <laughs> um, I don't know whether to feel good about that or bad about that, but it's, it's been amazing to watch and people get a lot from it in terms of opening up intuition, getting their creativity flowing, learning to be kinder to themselves, um, finding out what it takes to, to be in the unknown and yet to be consciously engaging with your intuition in a constructive kind of relationship. Develop a, a relationship with your inner guidance such that it can inform your creativity. That's certainly been a huge part of what I learned in my intuitive storytelling journey. And that's something that I now teach parents, but I also teach artists and creative types and people who want to just become more intuitive and, and creative in their lives. And I teach teach intuitive storytelling. I also um, give intuitive storytelling sessions for people who want to have a story for them that's on a theme of their lives. And I bring my storytelling to their lives in such a way that it can reflect back to them in mythological language where they are right now mm. and that's been something that we've always done from the very beginning with stories to reflect back where we are to find a sense of another way of looking at our lives that helps us move on just get clearer about who we are and where, and where we want to be in our lives and I also teach people one-to-one -one and kind of coach people in a sense with using intuitive storytelling to open up intuition and so on. And if, so. That, and if that sounds like as intriguing to you as it does to me, a reminder of, of Leo's website, storiesofthejourneyhome.com. And uh, this palaceofstories.com is so beautiful when you mention that your wife does the illustration. It is just it's yeah, from the second you go into it, Leo. It's just it's so beautiful. So I'll be I'll be hitting this palace of stories up, as we mentioned before we got on the air with uh, with my three year old. So this is this is yeah. wonderful stuff here. Great, Leo. Thank you beyond thank you for for your time um, and and not to over dramatize it, but uh, honestly, thank you for showing up in the world as who you are and what you do. I've heard for so long about you through Michael, and even though we've virtually met, I really feel a connection to what it is you do and appreciate you. So I just wanted to thank you for, for joining us, and, and more important, thank you for doing what it is you do. That's great. Thank you so much. That's really uh, that's really kind and, and generous. And it's been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. Well, really we enjoyed. we would love to we would love to have you back. And Michael, I have to thank you as always for being so brilliant in uh, the ideas you come up with for for what it is we do here, my friend. Well, uh, I really appreciate that, and I'm, I'm really glad Leo was able to uh, to come on, and we'll be sharing uh, one of his stories um, in upcoming podcasts, so you can take a listen to that. Uh, Leo's podcast, Stories of the Journey Home. Uh, it's available on iTunes. If you just go to iTunes and do a search for Stories of the Journey Home, uh, it should show up, as well as any other podcast directory you're currently using. Excellent. Drummer in the Great Mountain, we are a small press. Help spread the word. You know, reviews are really helpful. Feedback, as Michael has mentioned, is really helpful. Engage with us on social media. Michael is feverishly working all the time on replying to you and getting back <laughs> to you. So he, we are fully engaged on Facebook, on Twitter. For the book, please leave a review on goodreads.com. And, of course, for the podcast, iTunes is where it's at. We've had a lot of beautiful reviews there, so please keep it coming. Ideas on getting the word out about Michael's book, uh, as always, is welcome. Get this info out to institutions, social workers, progressive psychologists, uh, any way you can of helping spread the word. If you've been helped by this, this book and what it is we do here, we want to hear about it and would love for you to spread the spread. Um, what it is you've been inspired by in your journey on transforming yourself as a hunter type. And so as we always say here on the Drummer and the Great Mountain Podcast, please take care of yourselves and your health. Be well. <laughs>